unpacking the results of the 2022 election. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, I was going to say, we're not coming from the road, we're not coming from hotel rooms, we're actually at our houses, and me and you are, but... Our colleague, Tia Mitchell, is coming from the road. She's coming from a hotel room in Atlanta. Tia, thanks so much for joining us for this special episode of Politically Georgia. It's so great to be on the podcast with you guys. I know we have three of our three of the three uh, insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on the line. It's so exciting. Yeah, we, we got to hang out all together at Warnock's party. We're going to go more into that. Um, later on, but we actually got a, a jolt picture, a rare all three of us together jolt picture and Tia staying in town for our our holiday retreat, our special session retreat, I guess we call it, because it's never too early to start planning for next year. So we have a big kind of a big, huge annual meeting uh, that we talk about what to expect. And we'll get more into that as the episode uh, and our episodes go forward. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about what the Senator Warnock victory and the Republican victories in the midterms mean for Georgia going forward, why Governor Brian Kemp and Senator Warnock are now can be considered elite national figures, and we're going to talk about the most surreal moments on the campaign trail. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades, an AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, we've now had a couple of days to digest what's happened in Georgia the last four-ish weeks. We had November midterms where Republicans won statewide in every election but the U.S. Senate race. And now we have a split ticket, really, a split decision in a sense, because um, Democrats took the other big prize of the 2022 cycle, which is, of course, the U.S. Senate seat, ensuring that Democrats continue to represent Georgia in both U.S. Senate seats until 2026, at least. Tia, I'd like to start with you. You have a ground view of all this, especially in Washington. What do you think these kind of split decisions, in a sense, mean and say about Georgia going forward? Well, I think these split decisions say that as much as we talk about how hyperpartisan politics are, and that's very true, people tend to stick with if you're a Democrat, you're voting for Democrats. If you're a Republican, you're voting for Republicans. And it doesn't really matter as much who the person is as long as the party. But I think our recent election showed that there are limits to that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
particularly in Georgia, in high stakes races, people are paying attention to the person behind that party label. So that helped Kemp get more support than just Republicans. That helped Raphael Warnock get support rather than just Democrats. It's not a huge group, right? Those split ticket voters, it's not a gigantic group, but in a state as closely divided as Georgia, it's a consequential group. And it could just be the difference, well, it was the difference between a runoff uh, victory for Senator Warnock, and it could be uh, what most shapes Georgia going forward in 2024 now that we know that, that there are, let's say, 200, 300,000, however many there are, there are that many voters willing to look past party lines into the candidate themselves. Patricia, what do you think the results say about Georgia going forward? I really agree with Tia that there is this group of voters who will vote on the person, not necessarily the party under certain circumstances, the right circumstances. And that to me says Georgia is a true battleground state. If you have a good candidate and uh, lots of money, you're going to need lots of money. Um, Either party can win in this state right now. And that is so far from the reality that this state has uh, presented in the past, either completely Democratic control or completely Republican control. It's worth people's time to compete here. And I think that is huge. And I think also it sends a message to campaigns in the future that there is a reward for moderation, for giving independence a place to go. And I think that is very much what Joe Biden did in 2020. That was a big piece of his appeal here in the state. And it's exactly what Raphael Warnock did uh, throughout his entire campaign, in fact, throughout his entire time in the Senate. And it really does stand in contrast to the campaign that Stacey Abrams ran. And so we have this very unique situation where we have side by side campaigns that ran different strategies and got different results. Yeah, that's interesting, Tia, because it seemed to me that the candidates who could claim the center won. Governor Brian Kemp, you know, he had a lot of policies that Democrats hated, that Republicans loved, guns, abortion, education, you name it. Um, but he also at least tried, and to many could, did uh, claim the center when it came to the economy. Um, he, he focused on an economic message about helping insulate Georgians from the, the pains of the, of the Biden economic agenda in his view. We definitely know that Senator Warnock claimed the center in part because Herschel Walker didn't contest him for the center. Um, Herschel Walker was out there, as you noted in different stories, talking about culture wars, talking about transgender sports and gendered pronouns and critical race theory, issues that that play in a primary but aren't front and center when it comes to a, a general election or a runoff in this sense. Whereas Senator Warnock, he relentlessly appealed to that middle and won it. And so, Tia, just, it just seems like the battle for these centrist voters, these middle of the road voters is going to help define Georgia going forward. Yeah. And I think that's probably maybe like the true definition of a swing state is that strict partisans more and more in Georgia aren't able to get over the finish line in the general election. And like, I think you made a really good point, which is like, it wasn't so much a battle for the Senate, for the center, in either the Senate race or the governor's race. It's just like when it came down to the big two, the Republican and the Democrat, in both races, there was one candidate who spoke at all to the middle. And then there was another candidate who just really didn't. And so in the governor's race, it was Brian Kemp, who as he's very conservative, 
right? But he had that sheen of centrism that came from standing up to Donald Trump. And he took advantage of that. I think he worked hard to cultivate that. And then Stacey Abrams really didn't try to speak to the middle at all. That just wasn't part of her strategy. And it paid off for Brian Kemp because he was able to have that all to himself. And then in the Senate race, it was the opposite. We saw Senator Warnock do everything he could to speak to the middle, talking about working across the aisle with Republicans, having as many events as he could to cater to people who might be in the middle, you know, freaking Dave Matthews and and (laughs) everything else he could do, you know. But and then, like you said, Herschel Walker never tried like never switched up his stump speech, never switched up even the types of audiences he tried to appeal to by holding events in a different type of venue. It was like, it was different cities, but like the same car dealership and gun store every time. Yeah, yeah. I think also if there is a book to be written about how to run campaigns, and I don't think that's the exact book you're going to write next time, Greg. Um, I really think these were two statewide campaigns that were so disciplined, both between Brian Kemp's campaign and Raphael Warnock's campaign. There were points at which I would think it'd be so great if these people were a little bit more fun <laughs> to, to cover, <laughs> if they would do something a little more surprising. Why won't they respond to X, Y, and Z? You know, um, These were two teams that really knew what direction they were going in, and they just would not get pushed off that mark. It also had a lot to do with who their candidates were and what they were genuinely interested in. And um, there are other campaigns around the state, around the country, that I think can take a real page out of these two campaigns for just how incredibly laser focused they were on the issues that Georgians wanted to talk about and wanted answers to. And that was the economy. And I think that uh, as much as you want it to be about other things, that is what Georgians were feeling. That's what they were living in their lives every single day. And, you know, there were smaller groups that had smaller, more narrow uh, primary interest. But we saw from day one that it was all about the economy for voters. And so for those two campaigns, it also was largely about the economy as well. And I think that was just a, a really smart, smart direction for them to go in. That's such a good point about the message discipline, too, because obviously very different candidates, very different policies. But you could ask Governor Kemp the same question 50 times. He'd give you pretty much the same answer. I could predict it. And really, Senator Warnock would not give you the exact same answer, but he'd give you the same spirit of an answer, especially when you asked either of them about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. If you asked Kemp about Trump, it would always be about how he's focused. He likes parts of the Trump agenda, but he's not going to ever say a bad thing about Donald Trump, at least before the election. And Senator Warnock, if you asked him about Joe Biden, he'd say some variation of this. Who's up? Who's down? Who's in? Who's out? Who cares? You know, that's that's a pundit question is what he'd say. It also strikes me that these two candidates now Uh, These two victorious politicians in Georgia are now two of the elite national figures in both their respective parties, and that's going to help define Georgia down the road. Governor Brian Kemp has already been talked about as a potential presidential contender. Who knows how everything's going to shake out in the Republican primary field, but I know that he's right now focused on getting sworn in and his legislative agenda for 2023. And of course, Senator Warnock who's been on the ballot five times since November 2020, finished in first place every single time, won two elections in the most politically divided state in the nation in an era, in a political climate that was hostile to to Democrats in Georgia, at least. 
and he's going to be talked about as a as a national candidate down the road. Tia, I mean, you're in Washington. Senator Warnock now comes in as one of the most famed U.S. senators who just won the most expensive contest, Senate contest of the cycle. And last year, or uh, yeah, it was last year, won the most expensive, along with John Ossoff, the most expensive U.S. Senate races in the nation's history. Yeah, I think, you know, we saw on social media where people were saying that when he landed in Washington yesterday, there were like cheers and applause in the airport. And then Chuck Schumer, like literally met him on the steps of the Capitol and I um, watched C-SPAN to watch the Senate floor session when he cast his first vote yesterday. And you could see all the members coming up to him and slapping him on the back. And John Ossoff gave him a big hug. So we got like this hero's welcome. And I do think at this point, he's the it boy, Raphael Warnock is, you know, because it not only was an expensive campaign, but he like is a fundraising machine. Like he, as much as he says he doesn't want to be a politician and he doesn't quite have the affinity for politics. Well, you could have fooled us, sir, because you raised <laughs> 300 and something million dollars. That's crazy even just to say it out loud. That being said, you know, Raphael Warnock is now in the mix as like a national political figure because of what he's been able to accomplish and people see him as a rising star. I would be very surprised if he doesn't have a great speaking slot at the Democratic National Convention in a couple of years. That being said, I'm not sure uh, his life goal includes running for president for several reasons. Number one, his day job is being the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, but number two, his kids are really young. That being said, he wouldn't be the first politician to kind of get caught up in his own hype and go places that perhaps his own, and I'm not even saying this in a negative way, but like there are plenty of politicians who might not have seen it for themselves, but other people saw it in them. And then they were like, oh yeah, I, I could run for president. You're right. I, I, I'm going to run for president. So I, I don't put it past him, but I will say, I don't necessarily think it's on his personal bingo card or it wasn't, I will say before all this stuff happened. So we'll just kind of see again in the coming weeks and months mm. as we get beyond this campaign season where his mind goes. He's also 53. He's set for another six years in Georgia. Joe Biden is very likely to run again, you know, so I think 2024 might not be the issue, but 2028, 2032, I think there will be a number of Georgians in that conversation throughout the rest of this decade. Patricia? Yeah, well, and that's what you get for being a swing state. It's not just that people like you, it's that you know how to win. And mm -hmm. that is what people want. They want to have a bit of that um, kind of star power, first of all, from Raphael Warnock. I don't know that Brian Kemp has the exact same star power, but he's got the record and he distinguished himself, unlike anybody else in the country, to thread that needle between not just living through a primary, but dominating his GOP primary with a very conservative base 52 and then going on. Yeah. And then beating CC Abrams by eight 
points. Nobody saw that coming. I think people thought both of those elections would be a lot closer. Um, He also is able to raise quite a bit of money. They both have very loyal teams around them that are super professional. You kind of feel like these are people capable of growing and expanding their horizons right now. I think it raises a really good question, though, right now about the direction of these two parties in the state just functionally, because now Brian Kemp has essentially supplanted the entire state GOP with his own internal operation. And it used to be that the governor in the state would sort of appoint the head of the state party and then sort of you know, sort of quasi run the state party, but they never actually had the entire function of the state party within their own umbrella. And Brian Kemp has done that. I think it was uh, it was necessary. It was also really smart. It also worked extremely well for him. So where does that leave the state GOP? And where does that leave people? Where does that leave Republicans inside the state when it comes to the state party? And then for the Democrats, you have to think and wonder with Stacey Abrams now sidelined and Raphael Warnock having this huge, huge high profile victory, it kind of felt like Stacey Abrams was the North Star of Democrats mm-hmm. here in the state of Georgia. Does that become Raphael Warnock now? What direction does this party go in after this bag of extremely mixed results? And don't forget John Ossoff. But yeah, I think of that course, Senator yeah. Warnock is the leader of the Democratic Party now. We didn't see any role from Stacey Abrams at all, a visible role in the runoff, and that was by design. Uh, it was Senator Warnock's campaign was not urging her to come out and support them because she's such a polarizing figure in Georgia. And maybe she lent help behind the scenes. We certainly heard from, and we'll talk about this a little later, but we heard from Lauren Grow Wargo, Stacey Abrams' top aide, talking about how Stacey Abrams laid the path for Senator Warnock to win, trying to you know take some of the credit, which is fine which is her right to, to try to do so. But clearly, right now, Senator Warnock is the biggest national figure in the Democratic Party of, in Georgia. John Ossoff is right there with him as well. Ossoff doesn't have to worry about re-election for four more years. Warnock, not for six years. So they're both in good standing and can continue to cultivate their base, their political networks. And as you mentioned, Brian Kemp, he can't rely on the state party anymore. But what he can do is he can take advantage of Georgia's new leadership committees that he signed into law that allow you to raise unlimited money and basically act as your own state political party, hire staffers, promote agenda, promote legislation, tear down your opponents. You can do all sorts of things with that. Greg, I got a butt in. What is going to happen to David Schaefer, if anything? <laughs> so David Schaefer is the state GOP chair, and he's also under scrutiny from the Fulton County Special grand jury for being one of the fake electors and not just one of the fake electors being the orchestrator of the fake electors in Georgia. So he has some legal issues, but at the same time, he's a pariah to many of the rank and file establishment figures in Georgia because he came out during the primary opposed a lot of Republican incumbents, either outwardly like Raffensperger, he endorsed Jody Heiss and backed his failed primary challenge against Brad Raffensperger or more quietly, where he lent support to David Perdue and took steps like showing up at a Donald Trump rally where Trump was railing against the Republican incumbents he's supposed to be representing. So Schaefer bet on the wrong horse <laughs> in, in many ways and you know, still leads a, a party with you know, lots of dedicated activists and advocates and folks who show up at the meetings and knock on doors and do all that. And Schaefer certainly tried to 
take credit for Brian Kemp's victory and for the Republican victories in statewide races. But in reality, it was Brian Kemp's machine that did all that groundwork. And in the runoff, it was Brian Kemp's get out the vote network that I think even made this thing close because it was close. It was two or three points. It could have been a blowout. And Brian Kemp lent that machine to a pro Herschel Walker pack and got out there on the campaign trail. What didn't matter as much as anything David Schaefer did. So he's kind of this sidelined force. He's still there, but Republicans are basically working around him at every turn. There's no love lost between the, the state's political elected leaders and the now state party head. So there's already a movement afoot to replace him, to figure out who can be the next chairman. But if he has Donald Trump's endorsement, it might not matter. And guess what? I mean, the other thing is Governor Kemp's folks, they don't care. (laughs) They've already got their network. They already have their way. They designed, when this law was created to create the leadership committee, it was designed purposefully so that in this eventuality, so that you can run basically your own power center without having to send money through the Georgia GOP. And we saw that not just in the governor's race, but even money from national groups backing John King for insurance commissioner and Chris Carr for attorney general, they didn't route the money through the state party like they would have a couple years ago. They routed it through Brian Kemp. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We are back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your host, Greg Bluston, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy, and Tia Mitchell, our Washington correspondent. You've got the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. We here at Politically Georgia would also love to know what you think of our podcast. Please click the link in today's episode description and answer a few questions so we'll know how to make this podcast even better. Okay, guys, we were all part of a panel for Cox employees earlier today, where our editor in chief, Kevin Riley, asked a really good question. And we can kind of replicate that right here because it, it was a kind of fun question. He wanted us to talk about the most surreal bizarre, weird moments on the campaign trail, because now that it's over, there's a lot to mentally unpack because it's been a long, long road. Tia, how about you go first? Okay, so my weirdest or interest, most interesting memory from the election is going to be election night because I started out at Herschel Walker's 
party. It was a little bit subdued. There was no more than a couple hundred guests. We're at the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame. There are Chick-fil-A nuggets on the menu. But for the most part, it was a pretty chill affair. Um, the, the crowd cheered for that like half hour span when like Herschel Walker was like pulling slightly ahead of Warnock and then Warnock would pull slightly ahead and then Herschel Walker would, would get ahead again. But other than that, there just wasn't a lot of energy. And so around 10 p.m., I left that party and went to Warnock's party. And as I walked into Warnock's party was literally the moment when the race was called in Warnock's favor. And the crowd was wild. It was hundreds of people, what, 600 people, more like packed ballroom, standing room only. This DJ was super hype and playing All I Do Is Win. And the, it was like a concert, it, the, it was electric. Which brings me to the actual moment that's my favorite. Um, MSNBC's cameras caught Stewart, who's a staffer yeah. for Senator Warnock, doing his happy dance. Someone who went to high school says with Stewart says that's always been Stewart's happy dance. And he used to do the dance for his classmates when they got their college acceptance letters. But on Tuesday night, he was doing the dance to celebrate Warnock's win. Someone took it to TikTok, put a Megan the Stallion song over it, and it freaking went viral. I think between all the different social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram, it's probably like at a million views by now. So that was really, really cool to watch. Patricia? Okay, so Greg, you were a co-star in my weirdest moment, but you were not the weirdest moment. Thank you. Um, it was the day that Herschel Walker called a press conference and announced he'd be holding a rally in Wadley, Georgia, which if listeners have never heard of it, it's because most people have never heard of it. It's three hours away from Atlanta. Very small, very friendly people in Wadley. Uh, so right before the press conference is about to start, meaning you and I have driven three hours east, we get a very quick note from the Walker campaign. Oh, sorry, it's not starting now. It's three hours from now. We're like, oh my God. <laughs> so we have to go chill out at a diner, at a restaurant around the corner at a separate small town because there is there was no restaurant open in Wadley. And uh, once we finally went there, once the event finally starts, it ends up it is at a lumber yard in fact an active lumber yard and so it, it was occasionally hard to hear over the saws there's a lot of sawdust on the ground and the strangest moment of this is that you are waiting to see all of the huge crowds of supporters because it was a time when Herschel Walker was going through major, major controversy. It was after it had just been reported that she he had paid for um, an abortion for a woman, which he denied, uh, but which the New York Times said, actually, it's also the mother of one of his children. So um, we were expecting crowds of Herschel Walker supporters as a show of support for this man who did have a lot of support around the state. Um, people all show up. We noticed they're all wearing t-shirts from the lumberyard. Uh, many of them spoke, were speaking Spanish, and that was because they were all line workers, shift workers who had been told by their foreman to come out and just listen to Herschel Walker's speech. And that was when I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this campaign is not going to end well because uh, we knew... GOP voters were less worried about the character question and more worried about the competence and the uh, lack of competence in that moment from Herschel Walker to put on an event like that in the middle of nowhere with people who do not speak the language as your supporters was just next level bizarro. And I've never covered anything like that before. 
at a, I never covered any like that or a, any event at a, any press conference at a sawmill, a working sawmill <laughs> <laughs> where I talked to another shift works afterwards and they were, did not want to be there. They're like, we still have to get our job done. So they had to stay an extra hour afterwards to do whatever, you know, their assignment that day was to do. And, you know, had to spend that part of it listening to Herschel Walker talk about, because he didn't give it, you're right, he didn't give like a political stump speech. He was more talking about no. football that day. Never mentioned the fact that he was running for Senate in that no. speech. Asked one of the workers, oh, so do you like Herschel Walker? And it was like, no habla inglés. I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so I have recency bias because a lot of weird things have happened, but my memory is now, right now, I need to be jog it because it's been a long time. So mine are, is going to be like Tia's, which is going to be really recent. Um, two quick ones. The first is going on MSNBC in the middle of the Warnock campaign party and not really trying to, but basically sort of preemptively calling the race <laughs> because at that moment it was a very tight race, 50-50. Herschel Walker might've even been in front, but we knew from the data that we were watching that there was very few votes left and of the votes that were left, the vast majority of them were in Fulton and DeKalb and the metro Atlanta suburbs where it go overwhelmingly Democrats. So we knew Herschel Walker was going to lose and Senator Warnock was going to win. And at that moment, I was getting texts from Republicans left and right saying it's over, from senior Republicans saying it's over, it's all over, but the counting, stick a fork in it. So I kind of repeated that to uh, on, on TV and Rachel Maddow said, well, Greg, NBC News has not yet called it yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. I said, you're right. Sorry. That was one weird moment. The other one was on Wednesday where a number of Republican officials basically, not in a coordinated way, but just because I had this big you know, 3,000-word opus on why Herschel Walker lost and why Raphael Warnock won. So I talked to a number of people for that. But that day, I just got call after call after call from a Republican official, not to add to the story, really, not to even, you know, try to, and certainly not to counter the story. They're all saying it's completely accurate. Just more to just to talk. I felt like, you know, I needed a couch and I was a therapist a little bit, right? It was just a lot of, a lot of folks, you, you put everything, if you're these staffers, you put everything on the line. You stop your life. You don't see your kids or your husbands, or your wives, or your boyfriends, or girlfriends, your friends, your family. These folks, for Senator Warnock, for Herschel Walker, for Brian Kemp, for Stacey Abrams, these staffers work their tails off. They work 80-hour weeks are easy for them. So they put their, their entire lives on hold to work for a singular outcome, which is an election victory. And when they don't get it, it is this, this like collective trauma. And all these things that even, you know, they didn't even feel comfortable saying off record before they were allowed to say now, they, you know, is this sort of burden relieved, uh, lifted from them. So it was a surreal moment too, though. That happens sometimes in campaigns, but not necessarily like, I mean, eight or nine different calls or just folks just saying it's over, you know, just breathing the sigh of relief because they went through everything and it was tough. It was tough for Senator Warnock. It was tough for Herschel Walker it was tough for Brian Kemp. It was tough for Stacey Abrams. It was tough for Jen Jordan. It was tough for Chris Carr. It was just a tough, grueling campaign. And now it's behind us. The good news is we have no shortage of things to talk about in Politically Georgia in 2023 and onward. We have a bid to make Georgia an early voting state. We have a really good chance that Atlanta is the D Democratic National Convention site. Um, we have the rising stars of Raphael Warnock, Brian Kemp, and we have a legislative session that will include all sorts of intrigue and drama. 
Now it's time for Who's Up and Who's Down. Patricia, who's your Who's Down for the week? So my who's down this week, unfortunately, is uh, Herschel Walker's wife, Julie Blanchard. We've seen quite a bit of reporting out of uh, the AJC and multiple outlets that uh, there was just a lot of internal friction inside the campaign, a lot of struggling over decision making and who gets to make those decisions. Uh, She was a part of those decisions. And um, you could just feel from the outside looking in that there were a lot of trouble getting to yes or no inside that campaign. It really seemed to hamstring them quite a bit. And you just never want to see that kind of reporting following a campaign. It's one thing to sort of lose on the issues, lose on the environment. But losing on a situation like that with those kind of internal dynamics is really, really rough. And so that is my who's down this week, I hate to say. And to be clear, I mean, Herschel Walker lost because it was Herschel Walker, right? He, he's ultimately responsible for his campaign. But, but what his aides say is, and they acknowledge that. Right, his aides, his advisors, people around the campaign, they all say Herschel Walker was a flawed candidate who was very difficult, but they say that his wife did not make things any easier. It's always um, ultimately the candidate's responsibility to resolve those kinds of issues, but you hate to have seen them in the first place. That's a good point. Tia, do you have a who's down this week? As the Washington correspondent, I'll say who's down are the folks who oppose same-sex marriage because a bill is going to President Biden that creates federal protections for same-sex marriage and interracial marriage is a direct response to the comments that Justice Clarence Thomas made after the Dobbs decision. And um, there will be federal protections for same-sex and gay marriage. So if that's not your cup of tea, then... You're not going to be happy because it's becoming law soon. Then you're down right now. And my who's down is going to be Lauren Groh Wargo, who sent out a 52-part Twitter thread on Wednesday. Look, she's an advocate and a longtime friend and basically a loyal political ally of Stacey Abrams, who, just like I said earlier, when you're in the trenches, it's so hard when your candidate loses. I can't imagine. Um but she put out a 52-part Twitter thread the day after Herschel Walker lost, Senator Warnock won, stepping on Senator Warnock's victory in a sense. And I'm not saying that. I got texts from probably, no joke, 30, 35 Democrats, some who are close to Senator Warnock, some just elected officials who were infuriated by that Twitter thread in which she basically cast Stacey Abrams as a sense of a political martyr who had fought to, couldn't get elected herself, but fought to pave the way for Senator Warnock to get elected, said that her own campaign was nearly impossible, blamed the media, blamed Republicans, all sorts of things in that Twitter thread. You can read all about it in the AJC. You can read the Twitter thread yourself and see it for yourself. But I can just tell you, certainly there's Republicans who are knocking at it. That's fine. That always happens. But it was the Democratic reaction that was jaw-dropping. I mean, people I thought were were staunch Stacey Abrams allies, others who are sort of the usual suspects. Uh, many of them, most of them were talking privately because, look, it is what it is. She's still a, a big-name figure in Georgia. But several of them went on the record to talk about how disappointing that was to see Lauren Grow Wargo take that step. And uh, they said, in their view, she could have still communicated that message just in a different way at a different time. Okay, Patricia, who is your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week is 
moderates in Georgia. It has been a long time since anyone has bothered <laughs> to talk to you, let alone try and get your vote. Um, you were not universally coveted this year, but it is so new for moderates to have a place to affirmatively put their votes in both parties. Just so interesting to me, a real change in dynamics. And, you know, independents make up a very large swath of the electorate here in Georgia. And I think increasingly, campaigns should be speaking to them as well. In addition, I think we have both in Kemp and in Warnock, those are two gentlemen very loyal to their bases, but who found a way to say yes, and instead of either or, in terms of you know the base or this or the center, and it really paid off for both of them. So I think that may change the way campaigns operate around here in the future. Tia, I am going to say who's up is those folks who were behind the scenes with Warnock's campaign. You know, Quentin Folks, his campaign manager. You know, so many staffers. I don't want to start naming names, but you know, I think of Lawrence Bell and Meredith Lilly and. So many folks were instrumental in helping Warnock get elected. And I think they can write their own ticket now. They're going to need some time off, but then they'll be able to kind of set a new path for themselves coming off a, a really strong victory. I'll throw two more names quickly out there. A couple more. We know Meredith Brasher's been working her tail off there. Rachel, the deputy campaign manager. And then our colleague Shannon McCaffrey has a great story on Adam Magnus, his ad smith who uh, is, in my story, I mentioned how a senior, senior, big-time Republican who's worked in in this world for 30 years said that Warnock's ad, in particular the ad where it basically used Herschel Walker's own words against him, uh, was the best ad he's seen in a very long career. Adam Magnus is the ad smith. You should all go read our colleague Shannon McCaffrey's story about how he came up with, uh, with those ideas and what his philosophy was throughout the campaign. Okay, my... My who's up is going to be a lot like Patricia's. It's swing voters. You know, the big topic in Georgia politics in 2018 and 2020 was going to the base. There wasn't really an entrenched effort to go to the middle. In 2018, Stacey Abrams proved and Brian Kemp proved you didn't need to. Right? Stacey Abrams almost won by embracing authentically liberal issues like gun control, like uh, anti-abortion measures. Um, same-sex measures, things that in De- Democrats in Georgia not so long ago steered clear of, almost got her there. Brian Kemp went far to the right. It did get him there. But now we're seeing this return to the middle in a major way. One quick addition on our team Warnock, I think also Michael Brewer up in D.C. Um, that D.C. team was, they obviously didn't work hand in hand with this campaign, but you can't run a campaign like that without the goods in the record to back it up. And you really saw that um, in this campaign as well. So, and we could we could go on and on Yeah, no, there's people. a lot of folks. <laughs> and if Herschel Walker had won, we would be talking a lot about yeah. all the campaign yes. staffers who won there. And we, I mean, even on the Herschel Walker side, like Herschel Walker's media strategy left us wanting at times, but like, I have to give my hats off to the people who were like the front facing folks for both campaigns who had to deal with us and deal with our questions and both on Warnock and Walker's side, like it's not easy. And the closer it got to election day, the more inquiries they got from outlets literally across the globe and to manage all those people and all those requests. Like you've, we've named a lot of names on the Warnock side, um, but like I do, my hat's off to all the folks who were doing, 
who were our point people on these campaigns. You got it. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Literally Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.